grit is the best thing that you can have as a young coach. Yeah. Passion plus perseverance. Today on the podcast, we get to speak with a Brooklyn, New York native and current college basketball analyst with ESPN, Fran Fraschilla. Fran had numerous stops in his coaching career, including Ohio University, Ohio State University, and Providence College, all as assistant coaching positions. He then went on to start his head coaching career in Manhattan for four years, St. John's for two years, and New Mexico for another three years, posting an overall record of 176 to 99 as a head coach. Please welcome Fran Fraschilla. Dr. Dish Basketball is the number one selling shooting machine in basketball by providing the most innovative game-like training, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics that allow coaches and players to be better every day. Everybody's trying to get better every day, right? Why not use Dr. Dish Basketball? All you have to do is mention the Rising Coaches Podcast or you're a member of the Rising Coaches Organization for an exclusive discount on your own personal Dr. Dish. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Rising Coaches Podcast. I'm Doug Caputo, and we got co-host here, Alan Major. And the main character, main focus of today's show, we have the current college basketball analyst for, maybe you've heard of it, maybe not, ESPN, Fran (laughs) Fraschilla. Fran, what's going on? Doug, it's a pleasure. You know, uh, Alan is a good friend. and uh, Great to see I, you, man. Yeah, great to see you. Rising coaches, uh, I, I know what you guys are doing. Uh, I think Alan knows even more specifically how much I love the profession, how much I try to give back, yeah. and uh, and how lucky I've been. You know, we've anybody who's been around this game as long as I have, I have mm-hmm. not worked a day in my life. I really haven't. For 23 years as a college coach. This is my 21st year at ESPN, Doug, so – Wow. I'm, living, I'm living a charmed life and, uh, you know, I've always loved that little orange leather ball because that's how I've made my living. It's wonderful. Oh, amen to that, brother. No doubt. Yeah. Some people call it a hobby. Other people call it a career, right? And Or maybe for you, I guess, not a career, just something you like to do that ends up giving you a paycheck every now and then. <laughs> well, you know, it's the old story and it's really true. You know, I think happiness in this world is you find something you love doing and then you get paid for it. No doubt. And, uh, you know, coaching itself is a very stressful profession, as both Alan and I know. And um, so I had a great run on that side of it. I mean, I've had two careers, really, you know, but really two careers wrapped in one one love, passion, which, yeah. you know, growing, growing up in Brooklyn, New York, um, in a what we call a mecca of basketball, you know, I mean, we, we have great basketball all, now all around the world. By the way, guys, 125 international players made NBA rosters yesterday. Um, Ooh, wow. But, but the that? globe has shrunk. The facts. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, I grew up in an enclave where, you know, we loved our sports teams. Um, you know, we love baseball in the summer, football in the fall, basketball in the winter. Mm-hmm. I gravitated towards basketball at an early age. And I knew from the time I was 14, I was going to be a basketball coach. I, I, and I, and I, again, you know, now 50 years later, I've been lucky enough to, uh, have accomplished a lot of fun things, been around a lot of great people. Hopefully I've had an impact on a lot of young people. Um, and I continue to do this every day of my life. And here's the crazy thing, Alan. I learned something about basketball every week of my life. For sure. And there's things I've learned. Like, you know, people will say, well, you, you know, you've been doing this a long time. You know it all. Not even close. Oh, my gosh. No. Yeah. Yeah. 
discovered now that we go, man, I wish I knew that when I was coaching. I'm telling you, no, I, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Actually, I got a question that we'll get to about that later. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, you're on the other side of the looking glass now, but you know, it gives you a chance to kind of look back and think about things. If Absolutely. you were doing it today, what would you do? So we'll, we'll get to that later on. Cause I yeah. think you'll have some, some terrific uh, content for that question. Yeah. So, and Doug is coaching, by the way, he's at Chatham in division three in uh, Pennsylvania. So yeah, he's, he's learning the stress right now, even though, uh, you know, learning it, the stress. Yeah, yeah, he's he's figured yeah. it out. But uh, I you know. I tried to I tried to talk my two sons out of coaching, but I couldn't. And, uh, <laughs> you know, now we call it a family business, you know. And yeah, no doubt. I, I just got off the phone with Matt. Matt Matt Doug is an assistant at Harvard, and uh, I said, "What time is it?" And he goes, "Uh, and he's back east, obviously." He goes, ten fifty eight. I go, "I gotta go. I gotta go." <laughs> you know? And uh, but I mean, you know, like to to be able to have a conversation with your son on a daily basis about what's going on with coaching, recruiting. Oh, he just had cool breakfast this morning with um, the first African American basketball player in the Southwest Conference, Doctor uh, Doctor James Cash. He, he's a professor at Harvard, but wow. he played at TCU. And I've I've met Doctor Cash at TCU, but he had breakfast with him this morning, and he was telling me about what a cool guy he is, you know. And he, he's not only a professor at Harvard, but he's a part owner of the Celtics. He's on a number of like boards. Cool. But the whole point is, like, my son gets to share that with me, and then yeah. other times of the day he'll will share inbounds plays and recruiting. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's uh you know it's a it's a it's a family business in my case, and then James is with the Capital City Go Go's this year and with the G League in Washington. So that's very cool, proud man. of those guys, and and didn't want them to do this, but they they <laughs> saw how much fun I was having. Yeah. With the game of basketball, so. No, we're all and lucky, I mean, man. The 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 things the places this game has taken us and just the experiences. I mean, you know, like I said, we could, we could do a whole podcast series on that alone, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah we're, yeah. we're the lucky ones. That's yes. for sure. Totally agree. The one thing you mentioned, I really want to make sure we uh, tell everybody also. So like kind of on this upcoming call, I know you, I know you told me before, don't, don't let me know what we're talking about. I just want to yeah. go into it, but I, I got I want to at least touch on a little bit. So for everyone listening, sure. who will be listening, what we're going to do is talk about both sides of your career, because yeah. One, of course, you know rising coaches, so we don't necessarily have to explain it to you, but we we want to get everybody your background, your journey, yeah. your career, yeah. and also kind of circle things up with your ESPN side of things, just to give yeah. everybody lighten of kind of both spectrums, because mm -hmm. that is a unique, uh, unique path for sure. And then, of mm -hmm. course, we'll talk a little bit. I want to touch briefly on just maybe upcoming teams to look out for this upcoming sure. season. And sure. at the very end, we just want to do a three-quick hitter, a segment we have where it just gets everybody to – general lowdown of who you are as a person, but yeah. um, kind of going back to your coaching career. So yeah. before you get into ESPN, you started your coaching career um, you, as an assistant, University of Rhode Island. Yeah. Um, and then I know you had a variety of roles, Ohio University, Ohio State, Providence, uh, just for a few. And yeah. then you go on to the, or excuse me, under the new or now current head coach Rick Barnes at Tennessee. Yeah. Talk about those experiences as an assistant at all those universities, some things you've learned that help you grow. Well, first of all, you know, I was a guy that growing up in Brooklyn, um, I didn't play college basketball. I actually was a good player. I could have easily played at my school, Brooklyn College, and I didn't because my freshman year in college, my old varsity basketball coach asked me to coach the JV team at the high school. And so I was a JV high school coach at 19 years old. Now we had a teacher who was the uh, coach, but I actually did the coaching because mm. I was 19, you know, I was a college student. 
And so I got into coaching right away because I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I, I channeled my passion uh, towards coaching. My senior year in college, I actually graduated in three and a half years from Brooklyn College with a degree in American history. At the, I would just say, like, during the summers of my college career, I worked basketball camps around the country. Uh, Coach Smith's camp in North Carolina, University of Rhode Island, uh, the Kennedy camps, the hoops. It, what was not – what's hoops group now, Alan? Oh, back- Yeah. Pocono, Pocono Invitational. Yeah, up in the mountains. I would would travel around the uh, the east part, eastern part of the country, and and get to know coaches and let them know my passion for the sport. Mm -hmm. I met a guy named Billy Hahn, who we just lost this spring. Alan Mm. knows. Yeah, yeah, West Virginia. Billy had played at Maryland on great lefty Drizel teams. Was an assistant at Rhode Island, and I worked the camp for three straight summers. And Billy was an Indiana guy. And so he wanted to recruit North the Northeast because he was at URI. Well, he would come to New York, stay with my family. We would drive, drive around New York and Jersey. I didn't have a license. He <laughs> <laughs> drove me everywhere. I told him where to go. And he, he paid for the meals. Yeah, right. And, right. and uh, I was like his bird dog. We got to go see this kid over here at St. Anthony's and this guy. And when Billy left to go to Ohio U in 1980, I was graduating from college. And because of my relationship with the people at URI, they hired me full time right out of college, which is crazy. Yeah. That would not happen today. No, and, not uh, at all. And so I was really lucky. I spent a year at Rhode Island and then I followed Billy out to Ohio U with a guy named Danny Knee who had been with Digger Phelps and mm-hmm. and Danny had an amazing influence on my career. So uh, I was one of those guys, Doug, that, you know, I was just a grinder. You know, I just, it wasn't like I had some big name and you should hire this guy. I knew what I wanted to do. I was driven. I was the guy in when I was taking like a history class at Brooklyn College. I was doodling like inbounds plays, and stuff, <laughs> you know, right. and, uh, yeah. and and really be I, you know, I I knew what I wanted to do, so I was focused like a laser, and that's how it all started. Wow. Summer camps, and I don't know if they're as big today, but as yeah. Alan knows, like not quite. We, yeah. we would get to know coaches from around the country working at summer camps, and absolutely. So uh, you know, I, I miss those days. Well, the beauty of what you said. Fran is like it's it's been a through line word through this entire pod and, and that we've been doing and you mentioned relationships right yes and just the, the the value of them just cannot be underestimated not just making them but yeah. also cultivating them um, being authentic right not yes. just what yeah. does this get for me but you know just being genuine right so um, yeah, the, the, I did the camp thing as well, and and uh, and I know the feeling. Like you know, it was yeah. I had a moment when I was thirteen years old when I realized yeah. I wanted to coach. And yes, you know, it, you never know. It's like a lot of people grow up carrying a doctor kit, you know, with the candy tablets. You know, and right. they they want to be doctors when you see your first cadaver. They're like, screw this, I'm going to real estate. <laughs> that's that's what that happened. You know? to me. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you, you never day. know till you jump into it if you're going to love it as much as you think you might. And how lucky are we that yeah. you did? Well, you know, I thought I was going to be a, I thought I needed to be a PE major, right? right. In order to coach. And the first day of college, we had a bio lab and we're cutting off open frogs. <laughs> I, I literally went to the registrar the next day and got out of that class. As quick as possible. Yeah, as quick as possible. I said, yeah, I'm not doing this. Uh, but, 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 I, but you made a great point because I mentioned my son, Matt, who's 28 now. He's, and he is back at Harvard. And every now and then I'll say, dad, I met this guy. I met that guy. Or did you know this guy? And, or, or Hey, the, the assistant coach at Fairleigh Dickinson's a really cool guy, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I tell him all the time, the guys that you meet in your twenties, 
these guys that you develop relationships on the road, recruiting, yeah. you know, uh, maybe competing against them. I said, these are going to be your friends the next 30 years. No question. You know, and 100%. you're all going to move up and maybe you'll be the head coach somewhere. And this yep. guy's going to be a head coach somewhere. And you're going to look back, you know, in 1979, 80, when I was an assistant coach, volunteer assistant at New York tech, uh, that was my senior year. I was going to tell you, I, I, I was, uh, a volunteer assistant, and we went to the national championship game of D2. Wow. We had a great team of, of New York guys that came back to college. Like, they were D1 players, but they all came back and mm-hmm. settled in at, at New York Tech. And we played in the quarterfinals of the NCAA Division II tournament up in Marquette, Michigan, against Northern Michigan. Mm. And it was the first time I met a guy by the name of Tom Izzo. Wow. And Tom and that? I have been friends since literally 1980, you know, and – yeah. There are those kind of relationships, Alan, and, you know, maybe you do, Doug, even as, as a younger coach, there are relationships that you can think back on and go, man, I, you know, Tom Izzo, Tom Crean, you know, mm-hmm. Bill Self. And I think back and like Jay Wright, you know, Jay Wright and I were assistant coaches in the Big East, like at Villanova and Providence in the 80s for Rolly and Rick Barnes. Wow. And, and you know, that was back, ironically enough, because of this Michigan thing going on where we could scout in person. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I remember. So you, you know, like you would go to a Pittsburgh game against UConn and you'd sit next to Jay Wright because mm-hmm. they were playing Pitt next weekend and we were playing UConn. Exactly. And the relationships you built it back then, in my case, many of them are still close friends. And so I always tell Matt, it is a relationship based business because 100%. one of these guys might hire you someday or you might hire them. Yeah, exactly. You know? And exactly. And it, it, so relationships, as you as you guys know, it's absolutely critical. I know networking sounds a little transactional, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know I think the real, real true friendships uh, stand the test of time, especially in a business where there's a lot of stress. No doubt. Well said. And I can say I could say from my experience, you mentioned you're like I don't know about you, Doug, but if you have any, I don't have the Tom Izzo and the J, you know no, Jay Wright. You, I don't have those will. yet, but you will. Yeah. You will. They're coming. Hey, I didn't know that Tom Izzo was Tom Izzo. <laughs> he, was just, <laughs> he was just Tom at the time. He was just, he was just, he was just Tom. Some guy, he was some guy from uh, you know Northern. He was a Uper, as we say in the Midwest. Yeah, you know, from, from yeah. the Upper Peninsula, man. That's and right. I, we had no idea. I mean, we back then we laugh about it. I have a funny story about that because we go and play them, a bunch of New York guys going out. It was like five degrees up in Marquette, Michigan. <laughs> Anybody who knows about the Upper Peninsula knows how cold it is up there in the, in the winter. And so Tom tells me later, this is a true story. We go practice the day before the game, quarterfinals, right? And the coach of the of Northern Michigan invites my coach. Oh, I think we're at a holiday inning. Hey, um, well, let's have a beer. I'll meet you at the, at the lounge after your practice. Well, the coach of the team made Tom go up into the press box and he papered the press box. My gosh. And he locked the press box. He, Tom spied on us. <laughs> and and the coach forgot that he was there. He, he went to have a beer with our coach and he, and he forgot about him like for five hours. And, oh, my. And so Tom didn't tell me the story until years later. We were on a flight, Alan, from Atlanta to Vegas in the summer. Oh. And, you know, we're, by this time we're close friends and he tells me the story. And I said, you, you a-hole, you're the, you're the NABC, uh, you know, chairman of the committee on ethics. Right, you know? right, right, right. <laughs> and uh, he goes, yeah. I didn't want to do it. My coach made me do it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we, be, we beat him at the buzzer 
And a guy named Curtis Sumter made the shot for us. Oh, wow. And his Warm. son later was a great player at Villanova for That's Jay right. Wright. So yeah. It, it's such a small world. But, I mean, these relationships, Doug, amazing. you know. Like, That's amazing. Uh, Doug Caputo might not be a big name right now, but 15 years from now, people will go, Doug Caputo's coaching at Penn State. Yeah, you know? I'm telling you, man. You, that's you how never, it works. You never know. That's how it works. Yes, you never yeah. know. Well, friend, you you little little fire underneath me a little bit there. So hopefully that, that's what uh, <laughs> I'm here I'm gonna for. Walk away, I'm going to walk away from this and just go make some calls real quick. No, but um, yeah, yeah. So kind of going back to your career and everything. So after all your assistant roles, your first head coaching stint yeah. started at Manhattan for four yeah. years. Oh, hey, um, let me let, let me stop you. Let me stop you. Let me tell you because okay. I didn't get. Okay. A, I would say this about being an assistant because there are so many you know young coaches on this pod. Yeah. Um, yep. You basically, to be a good assistant, you have to make yourself indispensable. There you go. You know, you, you got to be willing to do everything your head coach wants. Loyalty is critical. You know, Jerome Tang, we had a, we had a, we have a coaches get together, as Alan knows, every year down at the University of Florida, Larry Shiat puts on, a guy I work with at Providence. And Jerome Tang was one of the invited speakers, uh, rightfully so. And he said, I only hire people that love me, you know. I thought that was amazing. You know, I only hire people that love me, but here's the point. Can't always do that, but you got to hire people that your success means something to. Sure. That's critical loyalty. You know, that's the first thing. Secondly, being an indispensable, you know, doing whatever the head coach needs you to do. Um, Danny knee fired me five times, <laughs> but he hired me six. <laughs> <laughs> and I was only fired for like 24 hours at a time. Right, right, right. But 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 Danny was so tough on me as a young assistant, he never let me make excuses. Like mm -hmm. there were no excuses with Danny. You got the job done. Yeah. And 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 he trained us, Billy Hahn and I. He trained us to be be a no excuse guy, get the job done, be indispensable, be loyal, work hard. Mm -hmm. And for me, the penalty of being fired for 24 hours back then was he said, don't come in the office. Right. And there's some guys I know, if you said, don't come in the office, they're going to go out and hit golf balls. Yeah. You may, yep. you might see him a week later. Yeah. When you say don't come in the office to me, like you're breaking my heart. Oh gosh. I got to get in there. Right. <laughs> Torture. And, yeah. But anyway, it only lasted 24 hours, but <laughs> anyway, like before we get on to be me being a head coach, yep. that there's an understanding of that. It, it takes, you, you just don't become a great assistant. Yeah, it just it just doesn't happen. You you have you have to you have to make yourself indispensable. You have to be loyal. Mm -hmm. um, you have to obviously work hard. And really, the bottom line is because this is what we started out with the conversation. You gotta have a passion for what you do. For sure. Like I have never thought of even when I was an assistant, man. I loved every day of it because the, these guys, Danny Knee, Gary Williams, Rick Barnes, they were paying me to do something I love doing. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And, and so you know, I was, I was very lucky in that regard. So. Being a good assistant, and what Danny did, which is really critical, is he, in being tough on us in every area, recruiting, running camp, scouting, on-court mm -hmm. coaching, mm -hmm. he he knew he was doing it because he worked for Digger Phelps, who did this well. But Danny trained me to be a head coach. Yeah. Um, I did sure. not take the head coaching job at Manhattan unprepared because I, I was able to be a part of every single aspect of being a a head coach as an assistant. Yeah. I think is critical. You know, he trained us in all these areas so that it's not easy as Alan knows to move 18 inches over, but if somebody's prepared you for that, mm -hmm. you, you got a better chance of being successful.
Yeah, no doubt. Well said, man. <laughs> I like yeah. that. No, that, that's some great stuff. Um, and especially like you said, I mean, we were talking about camps before. The big thing about camps, at least I'll speak from my experience. Yeah. When I was a GA at a D3 school reaching out to a bunch of coaches, nobody's going to answer those emails. And I was in a sales role before that. Yeah. And it was just kind of like I was always just be adamant, even though you're going to get it, you're going to send 100 emails, you're going to probably get one yeah. response. But that one response I still talk to to this day. Um, but then like when, when it comes to work in those camps, I feel yeah. like nobody necessarily uses out or exterior people for these camps anymore. Yeah. It's more like people you have in your circle. So it is harder to get in, but yeah. um, at the same point, I feel like you just got to be adamant about it. Kind of like you were mentioning. You know, it's interesting when I was with coach knee, Billy Hahn, like we'd split every summer, like we'd end the season. And then like, we automatically knew if Billy was the recruiting coordinator last year and I was the camp director, we just flip flopped. So I would run the camp the next summer. He would run the recruiting and we would, you know, and then we split the scouting up. And then Danny Nee would tell me, you're in charge of zone defense. And Billy was in charge of zone offense. And so what he did, what he was doing was like, I could run a camp like with my eyes closed after a while, you know, we had 60 teams at team camp at Ohio U. But to your point, Doug, you know, reaching out in the spring and calling coaches and, hey, you got any other coaching friends who want to come down to team camp? You know, all of a sudden I became an expert in being a camp director. But mm -hmm. the next year I became an expert in the recruiting, you know, like here's who, were, you know. Yeah. The other, the other thing that was great about Danny, which I learned, was we always shared success. Like it was never my recruit versus this guy's recruit. Yeah, like, he's our he's our guy. He's yeah. our guy. And so and it, it was always interesting because when we go to like a booster club meeting, Danny would always say, Billy and Franny did an amazing job recruiting these four kids, you know, and, mm -hmm. and but then we would say, but Danny was the closer, you know, right. like, nobody right. better in the home with, than Danny knee, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we learned about, you know, shared success, shared failure. Alan, we never, there was a period at Ohio U where we didn't lose two games in a row for four seasons. Wow. And because Danny was an ex Marine. So when we lost, it was brutal. <laughs> you know? And yet, and yet, and yet, he was a master. Like we once, we were the best team in the league. It was, it was Ron Harper, Ron Hunter, and Eddie Schilling at Miami versus our guys. Snoopy Graham played in the NBA, Dave Jamerson, wow. NBA first round pick. Mm -hmm. So we were the two best teams in the league. But I remember one year we played Western Michigan, Central Michigan, Western Michigan at home. And we're we're the best team in the league, and they're the worst team in the league. They come into our place, and we win by two. Wow! And I'm I'm walking to the locker room, going, "Oh my God, this is going to be brutal." We go in the locker room, and Danny goes, "Hey, hey, hey, get your head up! They got to get on a bus ride eight hours back to Kalamazoo. They know they should have beat us. Right? One. That is going to kill us. Yeah, yeah. You say, here and comes another boot like, camp. Hey, hey, we won. We got <laughs> right. to win." They got to get on that bus ride knowing they were the better team tonight. But the next day at practice, Ooh. all hell broke loose. <laughs> but anyway, my point is Danny trained us. You know, I think when you're an assistant coach, the best thing that can happen to you is have a guy that is going to hold you accountable yeah. and be tough on you because it's going to pay off when you become a head coach. Absolutely. And kind of going into, um, we were starting to touch on like a little bit of your, your head career. So we mentioned Manhattan for yeah. um, four years. And then after Manhattan ended up going over to New Mexico, St. Uh, John's uh, in between St. John's in between. Yeah. yeah. My apologies yeah. Um, yeah. for th those three stints, just yeah. talk about being a head coach, you know, of, of, at Manhattan, 
being a first-year head coach and then kind of transitioning into the, the following schools? Well, you know, when you become a head coach for the first time, you do kind of think you have all the answers, but you also have the trepidation, as Alan knows, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my case, now, first of all, understand this. I was very lucky. I, I got hired at Manhattan College. I had a, an amazing AD by the name of Bob Burns. I replaced Steve Lapis, who had built a really good – Manhattan was awful. Um, they didn't put any support. They, the previous coaches had no chance to survive because there was no support there. When they convinced Steve to leave Villanova to go to Manhattan as the head coach, they poured resources into the program at the mid-major level. We're not talking about anything crazy. Right. But, like we didn't have to play guarantee games, Alan, which was cool. Wow. It was the, the, the team was – so if we wanted to go to a Marquette Christmas tournament. We didn't care about what they were paying us. We you know, certainly took the guarantee, but sure. we didn't have to raise money like a lot of low and mid-major and D2 and D3 <clears throat> schools have to do. So, but more importantly, Steve built a great program. They came within an eyelash of the NCAA tournament. They actually knocked off Tony Bennett in his final game at Wisconsin Green Bay in the NIT at, at Dratty Gym at Manhattan. Mm. He goes back to Villanova, and I'm lucky enough to be hired as the head coach at Manhattan because, in part, I was kind of fit the profile that Steve was high energy New Yorker from a Big E school, Providence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really lucky because I inherited a great group of guys. And I always say this, coaching etiquette 101, if you inherit a bad job, say nothing about the previous coach. Right. Um, If you inherit a great job, which I did, praise the previous coach. And so I was really lucky. We went to the NCAA tournament for the first time in 38 years of Manhattan. And what I did actually, even on a job interview, was I tried to be as much like Steve to the committee as, you know, it was. Because they didn't want some guy taking over a team that had just won 23 games, gone to the NIT, and saying he was going to change everything. Right, right, right. So my philosophy is how do I how do I keep as much in place as possible that Steve built and yet put my own personality on it? Mm-hmm. And it took about five games. We went out to Bradley. Um, they, co- they coached the team the first four games, my, my seniors. Okay? They were the coach. I was wow. just along for the ride. Right. There was a, there was a game at Bradley. We had, we had a game out there at Manhattan and Bradley. That's not a normal home and home. Right. right. And they were good. Jim Molinari was the coach. And the last three minutes of the game, I, I, I made three play calls where we got three straight baskets. Mm. And I think the kids said, that's our guy. This, yeah. this guy can do it, you know? Yeah. And those guys to this day are some of my closest, you know, friends because they allowed me to coach them when they had already had success. And I did some things uh, of, of my personality as the year went on where it did become my team. But Steve and I are friends to this day, I think in part because I always praise what he accomplished. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's important for young coaches to realize that you only have success based on the players you have and can coach. Mm-hmm. And, and in my case, I was fortunate. We built on Steve's success and, and had some more great seasons with my guys, quote my guys. Yeah. Because um, when you take over a job, you're like, uh, it's like you're a stepfather. Yeah, no mm-hmm. doubt. That's a you, great you, way to. Yeah. You got to love them just like they're your own kids. Yep. And and in my case, I was fortunate. Um, you know, we had great success in Manhattan. I, I loved coaching there because it was so innocent. You know, we, we didn't have fancy stuff. We just had a gym. We had a team. Yeah. And we just played yeah. ball. We traveled locally, and we ended up having a great run there with some great players. 
St. John's, I wasn't really thinking I was going to ever be the head coach there. They just kept striking out left and right with Majerus, Cal Perry. So they finally give the job to me. Um, we had two great years. I think they're finally I – I took the curse off this year because <laughs> Dino's going to win. It wouldn't matter where he coaches. He's winning. Yeah. But they didn't really have success. I, I would, You don't know this, Doug, but um, I interviewed at Arizona State. Wasn't going to take the job, but Dick Vitale, Sonny Vaccaro, John Calipari, they're all telling me to talk to the guy. The AD there was a guy named Kevin White who later had some success as the AD at Notre Dame and Duke. And Duke, yeah. And I turned the job down and being a, you know, the longer you work at a Catholic school, the less likely you are to believe in God. But uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. But the, the priest, uh, the priest at St. John's got mad at me. And five weeks later, he fired me. He thought I was disloyal for interviewing. And uh, they, they really never recovered because we had it rolling. It did. Mike Jarvis went to the elite eight the next season. And Mike is a guy. And we've had this conversation. Never gave me credit for leaving him an Elite Eight team. I think right. if I coached it, we'd have been a Final Four team, honestly. Right. Uh, but um, Mike's a good guy. And I told him later, because I, I said something snarky about it, but it gets back to coaching 101. <laughs> it wasn't his coaching they went to the Elite Eight. It wasn't, you know. Yeah. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been mine, except I knew those guys. And the whole point is, always be happy for someone's success in the business. Mm-hmm. And where credit is due, give it. Yeah. It's just the right thing in coaching etiquette. I left St. John's, took a year off. I went to New Mexico for three years. I was not in witness protection, although my mom thinks I was. <laughs> <laughs> we went to three straight postseasons. I replaced Dave Bliss, who went to Baylor. Um, right. They, when we got there, they were on NCAA probation. Here's my staff, Alan. You ready for this? Troy Weaver, now oh, the wow. president of the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons, yeah. Uh, Joe Dooley, now back at Kansas as an assistant coach. Yep. And Darren Savino, the associate head coach at UCLA. Wow. Um, my grad assistant was a guy named Travis Lyons, who I coached at Manhattan College at DeMatha grad, who now coaches down at IMG. Um, but three years in Albuquerque, and I got to go to TV, and that's how my TV career started. Never went back because I was happy with what I was doing, and I still stayed around the game. And I think for mm-hmm. my role at ESPN – I became an advocate and a mentor for young coaches, which is absolutely what, with I, what I do to this day. So the coaching was great. The broadcasting kind of is I'm still coaching on TV, but I don't get the wins and losses. Uh, but I still try to be a mentor to young coaches and give back all the things I've learned. That's a long winded answer, Doug, but no, that, no, was, that was awesome. That was a perfect answer. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I love the one thing that you mentioned, because I hear it all the time, too, is like when it comes to um, you can have the best best X's and O's and best plays yeah. and you can write yeah. everything down. But if you don't have the people and the like the players to be able to execute them, remember them and then input yeah. them and play them, you're never going to win. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. And yeah. then you started kind of getting into your career now um, with ESPN. So yeah. for people who are interested in going in that route, maybe after coaching or working for yeah. ESPN. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about how you got into this after coaching? It's hard. I don't think I would have been hired today, honestly. I came from New mm. Mexico. I had done some TV during that year off from St. John's. In between, I had a year off living in New York. So I got a chance to you know dabble in TV. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a guy at ESPN when I left New Mexico. I called him back up. He had given me some games that year I was off. And I said, hey, I'd like to do this for a year or two. Um, and he took a shot at me, took a shot at me. His name is Dan Steer. He's still one of my close friends. 
he was in charge of college basketball and I fell in love with it. And year two, they gave me a full-time contract and we were mom and pop. Now we do like two thousand, like 1700 games back then I was doing studio. I was doing, I was doing a lot of games. Now it's different. We have so many people working Yeah, and it's really hard to break in unless you're a famous ex player or a famous ex coach, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I wasn't, even though I coached at St. John's, but I had a passion for teaching I love communicating. You know, you guys know that when you're in a, a home visit with a recruit and his family, you're basically a storyteller. No doubt. You're just telling a story of Xavier or, you know, Charlotte or Butler or St. John's or Manhattan. Yeah. And I, I've always been a good storyteller. I, I love history of the game. So I know about Will Chamberlain and watching Kareem play at UCLA and the, the beginning of the Big East. There's nothing, there's nothing in basketball I haven't read up on in my whole life, plus all my experiences, mm-hmm. coaching 18 NBA players, coaching in the Big East, assistant coach in the Big Ten. So this accumulation of knowledge, which I get on a daily basis, just yeah. serves me well for TV. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, it's not to say that others can't do it. I just was in the right place at the right time. Yep. And I work at it. And I don't consider it work because every single day – I wake up, um, I'm doing something with basketball. I'm putting out videos. You know, yesterday we did a, uh, an ABC seminar for 300 coaches. We're on the call with the with Chris Rastatter from the NCAA. He's the coordinator of officiating. And we explained the rules. Mm-hmm. And we not only explained the new rules, but we talked about coach-referee dynamics. Right. And relationships. Right. I'll give you a great one. You ready for this? In the last few years, when there's a foul call, the referee who makes the foul call – would go to the other side of the court away from the coaches. Going to avoid, yeah. Wants to avoid, avoid them. Coach. Yeah. And, and Chris Rastatter, who's a, a tremendous, who's been a college referee for many years, and now he's the coordinator, he changed it. He said, nope, you need to learn how to get along with coaches. So if you make a tough call, you go over to the table, right through the guy, and don't be rude. Just yeah. hear him out. So now I'm not yelling at you from across. If I'm a coach, I'm not yelling at you. Yeah. Over. And the other thing, it's crazy. You know, now you can use all different numbers, 99, 77. And it's easier if you go right to the table and say, hey, I got a foul on 99. So, but I thought it was brilliant that the co- the referee now has to go table side. Yeah. That's what we talked about yesterday. And that's one of those ways they asked me to moderate the panel for the NABC. I've been a member 42 years. Mm-hmm. If you watch me on TV, you know, I love the rules. Yeah. And, and think every coach should know the rules in and out. And I always say, if you don't want to study the rule book, somebody on your staff should know the rules. Right. Because it'll win you a game or two a season. No doubt. And I know the rules way better now than I did when I was coaching because I have to, because I'm not an expert if I don't know the rule on TV. I don't yeah. need, Gene, I don't need Gene Steratore. Right. You know, because I feel yeah. you've paid me, you've paid me to be an expert analyst. I need to know the rules. Mm-hmm. But my point is, that's a way of many ways I try to give back to coaches is, you know, those kind of things, NABC stuff, um, you know, podcasts like this to, to explain my experience and how it might help somebody younger. That's what yeah. we do. We Absolutely. pay forward. Yeah, you know, no doubt. Pay forward. Absolutely. Pay forward. And yeah. I know, I like you mentioned, you've been on numerous podcasts. I've actually listened to a couple of them before, and then it's just great to be able to kind of hear everything again. Um, yeah. I know you've been on some previous ones with Rising Coaches. I know you're a Rising Coaches member and and yeah. well um, well in the community here. But 
kind of going on to you, you started talking about your like day to day for ESPN. Just yeah. give us a life because that's something that we don't necessarily get to talk to a ton of people about. What does a day to day look like for you? Well, first of all, I got to go back to what I've told you, like this whole podcast, like from the time I was 14, I knew I wanted to do this. So there's not a single day that goes by, you know, like I'm, I got a bunch of articles here I'm reading for the upcoming. Sure. I know my first five games. Right. Uh, there's nothing like I've already like I already know who I like. I know I know I, I'm already studying Auburn and Baylor because that's my first game of the year up at Sioux Falls. Now, keep in mind, both coaches are close friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my former players, Ira Bowman from Providence, is on the staff at Auburn. Um, Ira finished at Penn. And then he played in the NBA, and I used to tell Coach Barnes, "You got to play this kid. He's going to transfer." You're right. He ended up transferring to Penn and ended up being an Ivy League player of the year. But you know, like I know I have I have relationships with everybody. So, and obviously, Coach Drew and I go back twenty plus years because of our involvement in the Big Twelve. So, Doug, I prepare for basketball every single day. Yeah, I'm not just preparing for ESPN, although I am because I want to be ready. But 365, you know, it's basketball. I'm talking basketball every day. So in the summer, I'm reading every article I can on the Big 12 and the teams in the Big 12. I've been to seven schools already um, of the 14, the five Texas schools and two of the Kansas schools, because I'm going to see those teams the most. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm talking to coaches on a daily basis. I'm talking to media guys on a daily basis. I just came back from Big 12 media day. I just watched Air Force practice yesterday. Um, Tad Boyle from Colorado is coming down and spending the night with me in Colorado Springs because we're going to talk about the Big 12, go to dinner. He's got mm-hmm. some boosters here. He's going to have breakfast with in the morning. Right. There's not, so I, I don't want to make this like about me, but it's just what I do. Yeah. It, it's every day. I'm talking to my sons every day about, you know, training camp or recruiting. And when I focus in on a game, Baylor Auburn on November 7th, I'm locked in. I know yeah. the stories, you know, I know whose brother is the lineman for Alabama. You know what I mean? Right. I, I, know, right. I, know, I know what Homer Drew's doing in Phoenix, you know, um, mm-hmm. and how the family's doing. There's nothing that's going to get by me usually. You know, I found out yesterday that El Marco Jackson, a freshman at Kansas from South Jersey, played at South Kent uh, prep school. Yeah, yeah, Rafael Chili was a nationally ranked lacrosse player when he was fourteen. Wow! And I got video. And Not perfect. By Put a little thing in it. KJ Adams at Kansas, who's a junior now, mm-hmm. who's from Austin, Texas, was also a really good lacrosse player. That's going to get on the air. Yeah, exactly. And yep. the video is going to get on the air, and the people are going to go, "Holy crap! How does Fran know that?" Right, right. And that's just doing your homework, you know. No different than what finding out about what a recruit likes to eat mm-hmm. or, you know, what, how, how does, how to stop, you know, uh, Butler's uh, inbounds plays. Right. Yeah. This, this guy drives left 62% of the time. Yeah. This is all yeah. in my head. This is right. all in my head. You know, okay. Alan might tell me if I did a Butler game this year, uh, Hey, this kid's confidence is through the roof. He spent the summer with uh, Clay Thompson. Just using that as an example. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we do a game and he makes his first two threes, I'll say, Hey, you know, Bob was using Bob. I know you think he's a 31% three point shooter, but this kid spent four weeks with Clay Thompson out in LA this summer, you know? Yeah. You want people to to say, I learned something from Fran every time I watch a game. Yeah. Listen. Yeah. I know it sounds crazy, Doug, but this is like all consuming. 
and yet I'm in the playground of life. Yeah. It's not and that important. No, but Love the it. number one thing I take away from this, and hopefully anybody listening to this, especially trying to grow in it, the one thing I hear out of everything you've said, and you've said it directly and indirectly, is you're, you were a former Division One assistant all the way to a head coach for numerous yeah. schools. You're an ESPN <laughs> analyst, and you yeah. don't stop learning. You continue to keep on moving and keep trying to take right. on more information. So it's like that's the biggest message out of all of this especially. It's yeah. like you're not satisfied. You're always trying to learn. Oh, more. man, no. it's Because <clears throat> if I learn something, I'm going to pass it on. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, Alan knows that like probably the last decade I've spent time studying international basketball, mm -hmm. you know, and now I'm involved with three on three with USA. We're about to qualify for the Olympics in a week, which is going to be great news. But but um, I learned something from international coaches and I bring it back and pass it on to American yeah. coaches. And, I, and I'll share this. I'll share this with you because you guys, your young coaches will not understand this. But in the 60s, these guys, and they, they probably know the names, UB Brown, Chuck Daly, Dr. Jack Ramsey, Bob McKillop, Dean Smith, Lou Karnaseka. They would go around in the summertime and do clinics around the world. Yeah. And, and you know, on, on behalf of the State Department or whatever, and uh, or be asked by the Italian Federation to speak at their coaches' academy and fly them in. And they taught the game so well to those coaches that now they, they're teaching it back to us. Absolutely. And that's a great way to put it. That's, you know, it's not, not, no shame in the fact that there's 125 international players in the NBA because it's our fault. We taught them. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know? And if you go to Serbia or you go to, you know, Lithuania and you go to an academy, it looks like summer camp, like we yeah. talked about. So no anyway, my, to your point, Doug, I'm always learning and I'm always sharing. I'm always passing on. And it's uh, it's fun. You know, I'll say this. There's a there's a professor at Penn. Her name is Angela Duckworth. Mm -hmm. She wrote a book called Grit. Okay, and Grit summarizes my coaching career. Grit is passion plus perseverance equals long term goals. Yeah. Over okay. Time. And I, I've had a passion for the game. I, I I put the work in to learn every day, and grit to me is why players are successful. It's why West Point cadets are successful because she did a study on this. It's not the smartest people that get through West Point. It's the people with the most grit. Yeah. And, you know, we've coached kids at the D3, D1 high school level who weren't the most talented, but they just – you just knew you could count on them because they had grit. Yeah. No and my doubt. career is based on grit, honestly. Passion yeah. and perseverance. Yep. Over Simple. and over again every day. Every yeah. day. Passion. And then – the final thing that I have for you, um, and unless Alan has something to follow up with, but the final question I have is you just got to give us, I mean, you said you've been viewing and, and checking all these practices out. Obviously you don't yeah. have to give on any of the insight, but who do who we supposed to be looking out for? Who's your, who's your predetermined teams here? Well, the big 12 is going to be strong again. You know, there's no question. I mean, the influence of uh, the, uh, you know, the ESPN has done an amazing job. I've, I've been lucky to be a part of helping the league grow because you shouldn't be great in basketball in Lubbock and Waco and Ames and Manhattan, Kansas. You know, they've had great teams through the year, but now kids are wanting to play for Jerome Tang and Scott Drew. And obviously they want to play for Bill Self at Kansas. That's a blue blood, mm -hmm. but, you know, so I've loved to see how the big 12 has become, according to the analytics, the best basketball league in the country the last 10 years. And I think it's going to get stronger with Houston, Arizona, maybe Gonzaga, who knows? So the Big 12 is going to be strong. Jerome Tang, just so you guys know, 
um, phenomenal coach, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal human being. Uh, and, mo- and most of the coaches in that league are. Um, so that league's going to be strong. The Big East is going to be strong, as Alan knows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's become, I-, I think, last year you can make an argument that it was every bit as good as the Big 12, especially with UConn winning it. So that's going to be a really strong league. And uh, inside that league, I think, watch out for Villanova. They got everybody finally back and and some really good transfers and expect UConn to be good again. I know Butler's rebuilding a little bit and some Georgetown, you know, Providence. But um, great coaches in that league too, man. Just coaches, no question. So those come to mind. Big Ten is going to be Purdue, Michigan State-centric. Coach Izzo's got an old-fashioned Michigan State team with upperclassmen. Yeah, Rockham as Steve as Steve hard, Lattin, hard to get old. Yeah, and Steve Lavin would say they got Rockham Sockham robots. Up there. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> you know frozen no, tundra. You know great way to put it frozen tundra up there. You know yeah, no, uh, that's what he want. I mean, they got the helmet, they got the helmet, helmet going good. in the rebounding drills. I'm yeah. sure you know yeah. as we speak probably. Oh, they'll they'll bring out the shoulder pads and helmets this year. <laughs> He's the only guy that Tom is the only guy that could do that and not get arrested. You no, know? no, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> If I did that today, no, they would, that's, the campus police would literally come into the gym, no throw question. handcuffs on you, and take yep. you out. Uh, we got to go. Five, we got to go. Two to yeah. five mandatory right there. Yeah, no so doubt. Anyway, I, that, that just comes to mind. But uh, yeah, I, the profession of coaching is in good hands. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. Yeah, and um, what, what we can do, unless, Alan, do you have any final things before we cut to the final segment? No. I, you know, actually, I got one more, friend. And um, yeah. if you were coaching again today. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, I'll, I'll try to condense great, this question, question a little bit, Fire but away. like what I know what you're going to ask me, let me answer it. What would be, yeah. If you were coaching again today, dot, 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 then you, you fill in the blank. Cause I think, you know, where I'm going with this. Yeah, no, no. I think the biggest thing now, uh, uh, um, verbal abuse, yelling and screaming is out. Okay. Um, attacking somebody's family heritage is definitely out. Okay or the anatomy parts of their body. You guys know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you you just need to be, uh, you need to hold players accountable. You need to have a standard that's high. You also have to have a relationship with them that's real. Uh, we For always sure. use this term. Um, great, great book by a guy named Joe Ehrman called Inside Out Coaching. He's a former a defensive lineman for the old Baltimore yeah. Colts. He was a high school football coach in Baltimore. And I know you've heard this term, uh, there's transformational coaching versus transactional. Transactional is this. We got two hours of practice. You better play hard. And then I'll see you tomorrow at two o'clock. Right. Transformational is, is what we know it is. It's not just a cliche. It's you, you really got to love on these guys and you got to, they got to know you love them and care about them and care about their families. Mm-hmm. And so I just think, um, you know, my two sons are much different than I was. I was a, I, I was a yeller and screamer, but it was more theatrical. It really was, you know, it was more, it wasn't, I try not to attack somebody's manhood. Right. You know, and I don't know if that's the right term. I don't care. But, um, but the whole idea nowadays is you just, they got to know you love them. And if you, if they know you love them and you care about them and they care about being good, they'll allow you to coach them. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, I had a guy, I'll just leave you with this. I had a guy by the name of Zendon Hamilton at St. John's. Alan, mm-hmm. you know the name. Sure. Zendon was a high school All-American. I coached him his junior and senior year. And I was very demanding and tough on him. You know, we went to the NCAA tournament senior year. Everything worked out great, played in the NBA. But I always felt like I owed him an apology for being really hard on him. And we saw each other at summer league after he retired. We're good friends now. Mm -hmm. And 
I, he's coming towards me with a smile on his face. I said, Hey, hold it, man. I owe you an apology for what I go. I was really hard on you. He stopped me in mid sentence and goes, coach, you're the reason I drive a Range Rover. <laughs> I, go, I, go, right. I get it. I get right. it. I get no, it. that's it. And that's then at it. his wedding years later, he goes, where's coach Fran? You know, 300 people, Long Island, you know, yeah. A lot of goombas there, you know. Right, right. Amazing mixture. <laughs> they married an Italian girl. We, we had Long Island, African-American guys, Puerto Ricans, black. Italian. Right. And so we had this great mixture of people in this, you know, like a banquet hall. And he goes, where's Coach Fran? And I waved my hand in the back. He goes, I made four NBA teams because of this guy. Wow. What he was saying no, was I, I, he put a standard in me that I knew I wasn't getting cut. Right. So right. to answer your question, Alan, verbal abuse is out. Mm -hmm. uh, tough coaching is still possible, but with the idea that you love them and they know you love them. And when, the, when you, when, when you explain why you're tough on them and what you're doing and why we do this drill. Exactly. And then after, after practice or before you could, you know, the best part of practice is when you end the practice and the kids sit around and they're drinking their Kool-Aid or Gatorade mm -hmm. and they're sitting on the side and they're BSing with each other. And you still got eight or nine guys in the gym and practice ended 20 minutes ago. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's when you know you have a team, and so yep. that's what I would. That's what I've learned among all the basketball. That means nothing, right? As a young coach, you need to know that. Um, and by the way, Kelvin Sampson said it best a couple weeks ago. I was at a practice. Okay, it's brilliant because a lot of times young coaches who yell, they yell because the kid's not getting it, and they're embarrassed as a coach that the kid hasn't learned what you're teaching them. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, your teaching's not good enough. And so I was at a practice on a Monday two weeks ago at Houston, and they had scrimmage on Saturday. And Kelvin had the team, and Kelvin's a great coach. Oh, man. I would say that's a great place to do a sabbatical for a year, right, if you were a young coach. He wrote on the board, I teach, you learn, we carry it off to the, over onto the court. I watched a film on Saturday. He said, he goes, I haven't done a good enough teaching, you guys. Wow. Yes, it's not your fault. Mm. I got to do a better job of teaching because it's, I teach, you learn, we bring it out to the court. Yeah. And he goes, I watched the tape yeah. and I got to do a better job of teaching you. How about that? And that's brilliant because a yeah. lot of times young coaches who lose their mind and yell a lot, yeah. they're embarrassed that the player hasn't learned. But I often say, well, it's because you haven't taught them well enough. Mm. So yeah. a lot of the yelling stuff comes from that place of insecurity. Right. Now, no, when I yelled, honestly, it was theatrical. It was to make a point. Like I had a guy that I said to him, his name was Ted Ellis. He was a Dematha kid. And we he sat out his whole first year with me at Manhattan because he had a, a ACL surgery. So he was in my office every day the year he wasn't playing. And we got really close. So the next year he's, he's healthy. He's ready to go. We had a great team. And I said, hey, you're the guy I'm going to yell at every day. Because you and I, you know where I, you know how much I care about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there would be days of practice where I'd want to yell at another guy, but I didn't. He was too sensitive. <laughs> right, right. So Send the message through him. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then one day after a particularly hard practice, he comes over to me afterwards and he's drinking his Gatorade bottle, and we're just sitting there smiling. You know, we're just having a good time. He goes, "Hey, coach." I think you overdid it today. <laughs> I go, yeah, you're probably right. Sorry about that, man. But you know what I'm doing. He goes, yeah, no. I got it. Huh? And then he give me a fist bump, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's great. So, great stuff, man. So you got to know. It's, it's psychological. Anyway, I'm rambling, but I could do this forever. No. no I love There's it. no rambling here. This is all This is all I free range. It, just go on and go on. Yeah, um, I just want to help young coaches, you know? 
Absolutely. All right. What's your three questions? What's your. Yeah. So the three quick hitters. All right. Yes. Ultimately coming into a timeout. We got three quick hitters. We got to drop real quick. Really all they are are just three quick, short responses from your end. Um, But questions in order to best help people get to meet you as just a human being. So first one, do you have a morning routine um, at work that you have to do? Well, I don't work. I'm in my office in my house right now. I'm getting ready to, you know, watch some tape and make some calls. Uh, no, um, I'm a, I'm a hot tea drinker. I drink tea like it's going out of style. Hot tea in the morning. <laughs> I get on a plane, go to Lawrence, Kansas, and Starbucks at the airport. But um, no, uh, I don't have a routine. I work out every day religiously. Get your walks, right? That's I good. get my walks yeah. and sometimes I'll work out twice in a day. If I put three pounds on on a weekend, I'll work out twice, once in the morning, once at night. I'm an empty nester um, and my wife's a coach's wife, so she gets the routine. So I don't have a I don't have a preset routine except that um, love to get up, have a hot cup of tea, hang out, watch tape, make calls. And uh, so no, no real set routine. When you live in Colorado, like I now do, you get up an hour earlier. So mm-hmm. I used to go to bed at midnight, wake up at seven. Now I go to bed at 11. I wake up at six, six thirty. get more done. And then what would um, out in Colorado, we'll say, Perfect yeah. meal out there. What's the ideal meal you're looking at for, for dinner, breakfast, whatever? Probably dinner. I'm, my wife and I go out to eat a lot because I like to go out to eat a lot because I travel a lot and I eat mm-hmm. by myself. And then when, but uh, no, I love I love all kinds of food, but partial to Italian food, obviously. The Italian I mean, food. Yeah, yeah. we got some. We got some, good, we got some good spots out here. Nice. Okay. We got some really good pizza. And I, and I think like a lot of people, I could eat pizza for every meal. <laughs> you gave me one, you know, you gave me one meal I had to eat every day. You give me a couple slices of pizza. Well, that's why you get those walks in and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. those two workouts. Exactly. And then the, the third one, I think I, I feel like this one's going to be very a, a no-brainer, very easy. But yeah. would you rather make more money doing a job you hate or less money doing a job you love? Not even close. Yeah, not, yep, not, I figured. Not even, I always not, like to not, ask it though. None of us, you know, I hate, I hate to say it, and I'll, I'll just here's a good way to put it. Um, first of all, none of us got in this business to get rich, and and some of us, you know, have done really well, and obviously the coaches at the high high level now. But I was telling a coach the other day, I would say eighty percent of the coaches in this business, and I'm sure rising coaches, you could relate to this. Um, these young coaches are at the poverty level. You know, there's a lot of guys who take a volunteer job at D3 at Chatham or, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, uh, Ivy League had only two full-time coaches until this year. Right. Finally changed the rule. They finally yeah. changed the rule. That's right. There, there's young coaches. Like my, my, my older son, James, coached in the G League for $9 an hour when he started as an intern in Maine with the Celtics. Um, so, you know, most of the coaches who get into this business do not get into it for the money. If the money comes later and you can get a full-time you know, even if you're making a good living at D2, you know, you're coaching at Pittsburgh State in Kansas. Great. But most coaches are not in this business to get rich. Yeah. And they do it because they have a love of the game. So I think the answer is obvious. Yeah, absolutely. I figured it was evident, but it's always something that it's, it's good yeah. to reassure people and let them hear that as well, knowing yeah. about the industry. Yeah. And then the final question I have um, yeah. is we like to ask everyone your yeah. best piece of advice, if you can yeah. narrow down to one, um, and then how can they accomplish that piece of advice? Well, I'm going to make it two barreled because they kind of go hand in hand. So I would say become an expert at something in basketball, you know, I mean, really, really study the game. And then you, you have to know everything you got to know if you're coaching in college, it's recruiting. (laughs) It's it's all the things we talked about, 
but really, really like be a lifelong learner. I, I think is one thing that we've just has come up a lot. And the other thing is it's about relationships. So I really, we started this conversation, right. With, and it, it really is because um, whether it's friendships or people that can help your career, um, it's about getting to know people and them getting to know you and getting them to see that you have this grit, passion, mm-hmm. and perseverance, and that you're mm-hmm. a lifelong learner. So that's a jumbled answer, but it's all tied well, together. For you know, sure. It's all Perfect. tied together. But I, I would say, if I had to, if you made me summarize it, I would say grit is the best thing that you could have as a young coach. Yeah. Passion plus perseverance. All those other things, relationships, being good at coaching, learning, it all kind of fits into that one definition of grit. Yeah. And um, I would get the book too. Uh, yeah, that's the Andrew, name of the book. Great Andrew book. Duckworth. There's some good stuff in there that I think when I read it, it related to me like in the past tense, like, this is what I did. Yeah, you didn't even know you were doing it. But exactly. You just now, if you're, if you're right. a young coach in their 20s and you go, Fran talked about grit and you're reading it trying to get better, you go, I get it. This, yeah. is, this is me. Make it a strategy. Yeah, this is no make doubt. it a strategy. It's been a strategy to us, Alan. We just didn't know it was. No, we just, <laughs> yeah, we just, yeah. Yeah. just, just run it. Yeah, exactly. Just, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But friend, yeah. listen, before Doug closes us out, I just want to say thank you. Uh, number one, appreciate your friendship. Yeah. Um, you know, you've just been phenomenal to me and, and, uh, just to chop it up like this. I mean, again, we're talking ball, uh, yeah. so we could do this all day, all of us. Right. So, right. Uh, just again, been a pleasure, man. And, uh, safe travels. I hope we cross paths here We will before, before we will. the season ends. Yep. Send my best to everybody at Butler and, uh, and, and, uh, and hopefully, you know, you know, well, our paths will cross and then same with you, Doug, anything I could do to help you or help rising coaches, uh, you know, here, here to help. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, thank right. you very much. Again, Fran, thank you for being on the call. Um, that does it for another episode. And again, I'm Doug Caputo. We got Alan Major. Keep working. Keep rising, coaches. Take care. Video analysis is expensive, and I'm sure your budget isn't getting much bigger. Fulcrum Tech is here to help. Used by basketball teams at all levels from D1, D2, D3, all the way to high school. Their Angles product is similar to what you know and allows you to code, capture, and analyze with ease. All you have to do is import the raw video and Synergy with just the click of a mouse. Over the past two years, over 60% of their D1 teams and conferences, such as the SEC, Pac-12, American, A-10, or even the NBC, just to name a few, have made the postseason. All this while saving thousands and thousands of dollars a year compared to their old companies. Let's be honest, who doesn't want to save more money? All you have to do is reach out to at Fulcrum Tech on Twitter or reach out to their sales at sales at fulcrumtech.com via email and be sure to mention if you are a Rising Coaches member or the Rising Coaches podcast. Do more, spend less with Fulcrum Tech. I want to thank all our listeners for tuning in with us this episode. If you are not a member, want more content, or even be a potential member on our member spotlight to have your story heard, go visit risingcoaches.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at Rising Coaches. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review so we can continue to keep rising together.